Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we are going to uh, continue to look at uh, the teaching of Jesus, and today we're going to look specifically about the issue of marriage. And uh, I, I have to uh, uh, confess immediately uh, that uh, I am not a perfect husband. Yeah, well, I'm not that honest, let me tell you something. I, I, I'm not a perfect husband, and uh, I have not done marriage perfectly. Uh, I, I, Edie and I were uh, exchanging email earlier this week, and God had been dealing with me about certain aspects of, of my life and leadership as pastor coming off a great weekend last weekend, great celebration. Uh, God, uh, God just began to speak to me about specific things. And what I thought initially was uh, all about being pastor at First Baptist Church Norfolk and putting together plans and strategies and all that kind of stuff. And, and that was, there was some of that too. But, but it began uh, more painfully than that. Uh, it began with a personal journey on, uh, on, on certain things that God had to correct in my life and, and continues to correct in my life. Um, as, as I was sharing this with Edie uh, by email, we were uh, corresponding that way, didn't have cell phone coverage, so we were just talking back and forth by email. And, and uh, as we were, uh, I shared with her, I think it was um, Monday night, uh, Tuesday, Monday night, one of the nights, I, uh, Tuesday night, I shared with her certain things that God had began to reveal to me and uh, I think there were four categories, um, but uh, she responded with, uh, boy, I'm so glad that God has shown you those things. Um, and the reason she was glad is because she's been patiently waiting for me to get to a place where I would hear what God has to say to me about being a better husband and being a better father. Um, I don't think I'm terrible at either one of those. Uh, I think I'm okay. Uh, but even if I were a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, there's still room to be a 12 and a 15. We all need to grow. Um, Edie uh, has a way of uh, pinpointing me. Uh, I, mean, it just, I mean, just nailing me. And, and she does it in love and grace and mercy and kindness most of the time. And, and, uh, but she, she, uh, she said, you know, one of the things that, that she wanted was, um, or she hoped, was that the, the things that I preached would be consistently practiced uh, in my marriage. Now, y'all don't know how painful that is. Um, it, it's certainly a reality uh, for every preacher uh, because we're teaching what God says uh, and, and we fall short of that. Uh, but as she began to share that with me and as she detailed, I'm not giving you the details, uh, but as she began to share with me uh, the things that, that she's been waiting for from me, um, 
I began to, to be compelled uh, to, uh, to repent over how I had not been the kind of husband and father uh, that I need to be. Now, that, that should not be abnormal for any of us. You hear your pastor say that, and some of you go, oh my goodness, and you go immediately to some really bad scenario. No, you realize that that journey should be an everyday journey for all of us? Every day we should see where we're not being the kind of husband or father or brother or sister or son or daughter that we need to grow. We need to jettison. And one of the words that Edie shared with me was the, the word purge. We need to purge things. And we need to jettison from our life everything that does not bring God glory. We, we need to readily and steadily purge those things in our life that do not bring God glory. And uh, so uh, y'all pray for me on that journey. And I'll be praying for you because you need to be on that journey as well. So today I just want to share with you some of the thoughts and, and some, of the, some of that journey that God has shared with me, uh, especially as, as we look at Mark chapter 10. Now Mark chapter 10 is a turning point for Jesus uh, up to this point, he had been focused primarily on healing and preaching. Uh, he had some teaching, but Mark chapter 10 is, is literally, he turns his face toward Jerusalem. And he is focused intently upon his death and resurrection. Um, and so his teaching takes on a different um, manner. Um, but he digs right in and he's trying to prepare his followers to uh, to, to be his followers, faithfully following him even after he has been killed on a cross and raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God's glory. Uh, he, he's preparing them. And so he begins with this issue called marriage. Uh, it begins with a test, and there's a test that took place. The Pharisees approached Jesus, and they wanted to test him, and so they asked him about divorce. Um, and uh, they said, uh, what... Uh, when is it lawful to get a divorce? I, I, I have to tell you, I've been asked that question so many times as pastor. Um, when's it right to be divorced? When's it, when's it not right to get a divorce? Uh, many times what, what I find is people come and they ask me that question. What they're asking me really is, uh, I want you to put a stamp of approval because I'm going to go get a divorce. So I want you to make me feel better about that. Some come and they say, I don't want to get a divorce. I just don't know how to stop it. Others say, man, there are things messed up in my marriage, and if it continues the way it's going to continue, we're just going to get a divorce. And in each one of those scenarios, we, we need to hear from Jesus. And, and really, we need to hear from Jesus about our marriages before we get to that place. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus teaches us a better way of life. He teaches us a better way of life. I want you to read along with me, beginning in verse 1. And uh, hear what Jesus has to say. Uh, Jesus arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. So the Pharisees came and asked, uh, asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. Now, put in the margin there in ver by verse uh, 2. Uh, uh, put in the margin Matthew 19, verses 2 and 3. Because really, this is the shorthand version uh, the the uh, summary statement of what Jesus uh, was asked 
in Matthew chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Is it lawful to, marry, uh, to divorce your wife for any and every reason? Okay, so this is a shorthand. And the real question is, I want to divorce, can I divorce my wife for any reason, whatever I desire? You know, it, can, I, can I just get a divorce for whatever reason? We'll talk about that in a second. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. And he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So as we look at this passage, I want us to begin um, by, by just trying to figure out how do we get insight, wisdom, direction on the issue of marriage and divorce and relationship and life in general. How, how is it that we can get insight? help? Um, and, and the answer is we must go to God's word. Okay. So here's, here's what Jesus did. The Pharisees came, the Pharisees were trying to trick him. Pharisees wanted to trip him up with his words, get him in trouble with the government or with uh, his Jewish hearers. The reason they asked this question is because divorce was kind of a divorce on demand. Uh, during Jesus day, the religious leaders, the Jewish population and the Jewish teachers all said that divorce was right, and many of them went so far as to, and I'm talking about the preacher types, many of them went so far as to say, if your wife burns the toast, you can divorce her. Now, this is the most conservative, fundamentalist of the religious community, the Jewish people, uh, said a, a man should divorce his wife if She's been indecent. And you know, I want you to see that a man should divorce his wife. A man should divorce his wife. Uh, that's the only way it could flow. Man, divorce, wife. All right? So um, the, the most accepted course of action was, if you're married, you don't like it, get a divorce. Does that sound familiar? And, you know, I, I'm, I, I, know that, uh, I know that for many of us, uh, certain Supreme Court and recent Supreme Court rulings have, has caused great consternation and, and struggle, and I understand that when it comes to uh, the issue of marriage and, and how marriage is defined, and, and I understand that. But friends, we have 52% divorce rate in the church. We can point all day long at people outside there doing stuff that we don't like. We bring a worse Name to marriage inside the church with 52% divorce rate than what they're doing out there, man to man, woman to woman. I didn't get one amen out of that one. Well, we, we, like, we, like, to, we like to point our fingers outside, and, and again, I'm, I'm for uh, standing up for what marriage is about. But friends, what did... What did Scripture say? The judgment needs to begin with the house of God. And we need to do a far better job when it comes to marriage here. 
That's a little bit better, but not much. So today, thank you. So, yes. Today, let's, let's just, uh, why is it that we have divorce? Well, there are a lot of reasons, obviously, and there are exception clauses that we'll look at, but, but, but the bigger question here is, is how do we know how to navigate our sticky relationships and even fractured relationships? Because let's just be honest, it, relationships can be, can be hard, and, and they can be tough. And I, I'm telling you, the, the, the challenge, the greatest challenge for my wife in our marriage is me. I, I, I'm not being funny. That's true. It's not our circumstances. It, it's, it's not, it, it's not uh, our geography. It, it's not uh, our age. It's not our children. The greatest challenge for my wife in our marriage is me. And that's true. I'm, marriage relationships. In your marriage relationship, the greatest challenge is the person you're married to. And vice versa. Why? Because we are sinners. And we don't do it perfectly, and sometimes we do it horribly. And so what Jesus does is he says, let's begin here. Let's, let's look at what Moses commanded, okay? So instead of answering the question that the Pharisees asked, he said, well, what does Moses say? What he was really saying is this. Let's go to God's word. Let's find out what God's word has to say. And friends, if we're going to have a better way of life, if we're going to have better marriages and better relationships, then we need to go to God's word. Psalm chapter 19 Begin verse 7, verses 7 and 8. The psalmist says, For the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So in, in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, we see, and, and this, this is just one place where we see why is it, why is it the best thing to do? to build our decisions and our choices and our life and our marriages on God's Word. Why? Well, first is because it is God's Word that gives us a strong foundation. The, the, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the Word of the Lord is sure. The term sure means reliable, trustworthy. It's a strong foundation upon which we stand. It's not shaking sand, shifting sand. What is it that Jesus said? Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a man who built his house upon a rock. And the rains came and the floods rose and the house stood because it was built upon the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them, I will compare him to a man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the floods rose, and the house fell, and great was its fall. Why? Why did, why did the house fall? Because it was built upon a shaky foundation. Why did the house stand? Because it was built upon the sure foundation of God's Word, the teaching of Christ. Today, many of the marriages, I'm talking about marriages in the church, faithful, faithful followers of Christ, Marriages are not built upon what God's Word said, but ba says, but base, uh, based 
more on how we feel. We spend more of our energy feeling through our marriage than living according to God's Word. And when we go through our marriage as followers of Christ by our feelings, the end result is going to be an impoverished soul and fragile relationship. But when we build our marriages upon God's Word, when we adjust who we are and how we relate according to God's Word, then our marriage will be built upon a strong foundation. So here's the, how we get a strong foundation in our marriage. It's when we submit our feelings to God's Word. When we submit even our friendships to God's Word. What our friends say, you know, our friends carry a lot of good advice, but none of their advice is nearly as strong and powerful as the very Word of God. It is God's Word that is strong. Secondly, uh, when we build our, uh, our life and our marriages on God's Word, not only do we have a strong foundation, we have perfect direction. Uh, the psalmist said, the, 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 te- uh, the, the uh, statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the soul. The, the statutes of the Lord are right. That term for right is a Hebrew term that means not crooked. It's straight. When we build our marriages on God's word, when we stop doing marriage according to how we feel or what we think or those type of things, start doing marriage according to what God says in his word, then we are walking a straight path. We have clear, not only clear, we have perfect direction. God's Word gives us a strong foundation, perfect direction. It gives us a clear view. A clear view of how God intends our life to be. When we adjust our life to fit what God says, then we begin to see life as God intended. And that's the best life we could ever want. We begin to see ourselves and our circumstances and our relationships through the lens of God's intention and purpose we begin to see our marriages from a different vantage point friends today we're going to hear what God says about marriages and my prayer for for me and for us is that we would adjust our life to fit what God says It's a strong foundation. It gives perfect direction, and it gives us a clear view. So then Jesus begins to talk about marriage. He asks the question, what did Moses say? He says, go to God's Word. And then he he gives us instruction about marriage based upon God's Word and based upon God's heart. He tells us that God's plan for marriage leads to a great life. God's plan for marriage leads to a great life. And and I, I hear and have heard my my friends and, and at different times, people I work with, and they talk about marriage as if it were a drudgery, as if it were some painful uh, medicine that they had to take each morning. 
And I have to be honest, I've never looked at marriage that way, never experienced that in my own life. I, I have not seen it that way. Um, but I'm confident that there are people here who see it that way in the room right now. Can I just say to you that, that God has designed marriage in such a way that it would lead us, each one, to a great life? A life of abundance. Abundance first in Him and then in the relationship that He has joined us to. to. So as, as we look at what Jesus says, that let, let's, let's, let's get some basic principles and then see how it needs to apply in our life. First, God's plan for marriage begins with this one simple principle. Uh, we need to live for God's pleasure. Live for God's pleasure. When Jesus describes marriage, he just does it in a few verses. He says, he says uh, it's not always, this divorce thing has not always been part of what God created. God created from the very beginning of creation. He created male and female. And then for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will no longer be, uh, so the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying, let's get a different view of what marriage is. Many of us define marriage how we like it or what we want it to be. And Jesus says, oh, no, the primary aspect of marriage is simply this. Marriage was designed for God's pleasure, his honor, and his glory. And God said it's not good for man to be alone. That's why he created woman. But when he created marriage, it was for his pleasure and his glory. So that our satisfaction in him might be amplified through our relationship with our spouse. Marriage is designed primarily, first order, for God's pleasure. And can I tell you, this is where I get in trouble. I think, I think it happens to all of us. We get in trouble here because we, get, we, we become confused by the pleasure principles or our pleasure priorities. We, 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 get, we get confused because in our marriage, many times, we look at our marriage through the lens of what is going to please me. Man, I'm in this marriage and it pleases me or I want out of this marriage because it doesn't please me. And there are those days in my life where, where uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so focused on my pleasure and those are the worst of me. That, that, that's the worst. That's the worst of me in marriage. Where I'm sitting in the easy chair with my feet propped up and remote control in my hand and finished my bucket of chicken and asked my wife to come get that bucket of chicken and fix me some coffee and some ice cream and put a Congo square or two on top of that little peanut butter dollop in there and would you go out and milk the cow and churn the butter and right and do it all for me because I am man right? that, that, that's the worst of me and we all have that aspect in us in our marriage If it's not that pleasure priority, then it, it, it's, it's a better... I, I, I have this other pleasure priority, and, and, and it's not as bad as it's all about me, but it, it's still not the way God designed. It's better, it's, it, but it's not, it's not the best. 
And the better is I'm all consumed with what's going to please Edie. Now, that's good, except when it becomes a dysfunction in my life, where I jettison everything else just to please her. Where, where I'm not concerned about God, I'm not concerned about, about uh, uh, serving God, I'm only concerned about, about making Edie happy. Because everybody knows if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so... And certainly there is an aspect in marriage, and we'll look at this in a second, there's an aspect in marriage where we need to have that, 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 uh, that priority in our life, but it can't be the first order priority. If the very first thing I'm thinking about is what's going to please Edie, I'm not thinking first what's going to please God, and I am failing to be a faithful follower of Christ. On top of that, the reason I'm that way is because I want, I want Edie to be pleased in a sometimes unhealthy way. I don't want her to be disappointed in me or to disapprove of me. You probably can't tell that by the way I preach and talk about it all the time, but it's true. Another part of what we were talking about this week is, you know, my my deep desire to please her and the girls that can become a noose around our soul. So that's the second. Now, it's better than the, the, the second pleasure priority is better than the, than, than the worst. It's got worse, and this is better, but it's not the best. The best is that I'm going to do marriage first and foremost on what pleases God. I want to bring Him pleasure. See, if we will get this in our hearts as husbands and wives and in life in general, if we begin the day saying, we make it our aim, therefore, to be well-pleasing to Him, If we make that our first priority, then all the other relationships are going to be taken care of. If our first order priority, I'm going to please God, I'm in this marriage not to please me, not even to please Edie, I'm in this marriage to please God, then everything else is going to be taken care of. We need to live. And that's what Jesus was saying. He says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't, Don't begin to try to dismantle what pleases God. And friends, what pleases God is a marriage set on his honor and fame. We live for God's pleasure. And secondly, we we live by God's design. See, God has designed marriage in a very specific way. And that design does not include divorce. Now, let, let me talk about the positive side first. God has designed marriage. We find that design throughout Scripture, but especially in Ephesians chapter 5. And I know, I know Ephesians chapter 5 gets a bad rap every now and then, but let me talk about the first part of it, and then we'll talk about the part that gets a bad rap. But, but the first part, I believe, I believe with all my heart that God has designed marriage so that the husband would love his wife the way Christ loves the church. I think that is, the, uh, that, that is primary. In fact, can I just share with you? That I please God in my marriage when I love Edie the way Christ has loved me. One of the greatest challenges that we have in marriages is that, husbands, we are not loving our wives sacrificially and selflessly. We're not giving ourselves whole hog to be a blessing to our spouse. To our wife. 
God's design for marriage, according to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, is that husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Are you a fragrant offering to your wife or are you just a bunch of stench? Husbands, we need to be Christ's love to our wives. God has designed marriage so that husbands love, the, love their wives. And, and then uh, God has designed marriage so that wives, you submit to your husbands. It doesn't even say graciously in the text. Uh, submit is an easier word than the other word, which is obey. And that's in 1 Peter. So you've got to grapple with it, ladies. You've you got to do something with it. You've got to figure out what that means. I can tell you, but I'm a man, and it doesn't come off as good when a man tells you what it is. <laughs> I can tell you this. It means that you are to submit to your husband, not anybody else's. Okay? Oh, oh, please, there are some churches where they teach that women, you are to submit to every man in the church. Yikes. That, that wouldn't go over well in my house. Anyway, I, I, submit literally means to, to follow the leader. Not lordship, leadership. And there's a huge difference. There, there is a huge difference between lordship and leadership. And, and, and husbands are supposed to exercise a spiritual leadership that, that needs to take place in the home. And that leadership is, is, is directing, get this, the leadership is directing the family toward that which pleases God. Okay, so, so husbands, we are to lead, but we're not to lead so I get uh, more time on the television. We're not to lead so that I can play golf two more days a week. We're not to... Rex, play. We're, we're to lead, not... We're to... I'm doing... Uh, Jackie's behind you. She's, she was staring a hole in the back of your head, and I knew you felt it. Uh, we are to lead in such a way with this intention that, that our families will bring God greater pleasure. So part of the problem with our wives submitting is that we're leading for ourselves, not leading for the glory of God. We're leading for selfish intent, not, not for the pleasure of the one who has given us this marriage and this family. That's part of it. The other part of the problem with our ladies, with our wives uh, submitting to, uh, to their husbands is, is that, husbands, you're not loving your wives the way Christ loved the church. You're not really giving them any reason to submit. To your authority. If you can't tell, I don't cut husbands any slack because I don't feel like we need any slack. Amen. I think we need to put on our big boy pants and be the men of God that He has called us to be and stop crybabying around. And my wife doesn't do this, my wife doesn't do that. Oh, please. Let's stand up and be the men that God has called us to be. Love our wives the way Christ loved the church. And then the submission or obey becomes a lot less bitter in the mouth of our wife. Again, I'm talking leadership, not lordship. 
But when we love the way Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for it, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, when we do that, then our wives will find submitting to that leadership a joy and not a chain. Okay? This is God's design. Now, that's God's design within the marriage. Can I tell you something else about God's design? It did not include divorce. The, the uh, Pharisees came back to Jesus and said, well, God, gave, uh, God told Moses he could give a, a certificate to, of divorce. And, and, and then Jesus responded. He said, well, that's because of the hardness of your heart. It wasn't that way from the beginning when he created male and female. It wasn't that way from the beginning. But it's because of the hardness of heart. God's design is permanence. In marriage, he gave permission for divorce. Divorce in specific circumstances. There's an exception clause in Matthew chapter 19. We don't have it here. But in Matthew chapter 19, there's an exception clause. The, the, uh, it is permissible to get a divorce in the case of unfaithfulness. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul adds to it. He says it's permissible to get a divorce in the case uh, of a believer being married to an unbeliever, and that unbeliever doesn't want to stay married to the believer, then the believer has permission to get a divorce. But in both of those occasions, both of those circumstances, God's original design was permanence, reconciliation, not dismantling the relationship. Invariably, when I preach on these passages, I, I get back this. Well, what if he's abusing me? Then leave. Come stay at our house. I mean, Jesus is never intending us to stay in an abusive relationship like that. Leave. Did that take care of it? I mean, just leave. Jesus adds in verse 11 and 12 another thing that becomes a little sticky. He says, if a man divorces his wife, marries another, he commits adultery. And if a, man, a woman divorces her husband, marries another, then she commits adultery. And the plain reading of that passage is what? What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like people who get divorced can get remarried without committing adultery? Does it sound like... I mean, it kind of sounds like the, you're not supposed to get remarried even if you get a divorce. That, that's what verses 11 and 12 sound like to me. Does it sound like that to you? Yeah. I think it's a little tough to take uh, because, especially in this room, I, I know that there are many who have been divorced and been remarried. Um, and I'll, I'll help with that in just a second. But, uh, so the plain reading of that passage is, if you've been divorced, don't get remarried. That's the plain reading. Matthew 19 gives us a little bit of help. It seems like that there, if, if you got divorced for a biblical reason, according to the exception clause, then you can get remarried. Especially when you pull 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in, where Paul says to the, uh, if, if you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, the unbeliever doesn't want to stay married, give, uh, then you are free to divorce, and Paul actually says, and remarry. Okay, so, so there seems to be room for remarriage after divorce. If you're divorced for biblical grounds. There seems to be room for that. But the safest course of action, if you're going to get a divorce, if you've gotten a divorce, the safest course of action from that point forward is singleness or to be reconciled to your husband or your wife. 
That's the safest course. There seems to be permission given for uh, remarriage under certain circumstances. And, and, and some of you have come to me or will come to me and you'll say, should I, should I remarry? Can I remarry? I fall, I've, I've been divorced for three years now or five years or ten years now. Been divorced and I've fallen in love with a man. He's a good man. He's a godly man. He, he loves Jesus. He loves me. He loves my family. And are you telling me I should not remarry him? And I'm not going to tell you yes or no. I'm going to sit down with you and we're going to talk about it. And I will pray with you and I'm going to encourage you to open God's word for you to uh, allow the Spirit of God to direct you, for you to pray about it and talk to your, your uh, significant, significant man in your life or whatever, and your soon-to-be, hopefully, husband or whatever, and, and, and y'all pray through it. And if God leads you down that road where you feel like that's, uh, where, where you sense that that is God's direction, then go for it, and I will help you, and I'll do the marriage. But I can't give you the answer to that. I'm not your priest. We only have one high priest. His name's Jesus Christ. And he is sufficient to teach you on that matter. Okay? Many times people come in, they say, should I get uh, married? And many of them say, should I get divorced? Really what they're asking me is to put a stamp of spiritual approval on a decision that they've already come to. And I just won't do that. Um, So, that, man... I still have one more thing. So here's, here's God's design. God's design is permanence in marriage. There are exceptions for divorce. And possibly reasons to get remarried. But the question that we have to deal with now is, what if I didn't get divorced, I'm divorced, but not for biblical reasons, and I got remarried, what, what do I do? Well, at some point, you have to acknowledge that there is sin involved somewhere. Your sin. Not somebody else's. Your sin. You, you divorced for unbiblical grounds. And you remarried. So you, somewhere in there, you need to confess that as sin. But you know the good news? I mean, good news for all of us. Good news for me. There is no place. Hear this. There is no place in Scripture. No place in Scripture. Where someone asked God for forgiveness and he refused to forgive. Isn't that good? Every person who ever asked God for forgiveness in Scripture, God gave it freely. And the times ain't changed that much. And God is the same forever. His heart beats to forgive. So, if you're in a situation where uh, you, you're, you find yourself overwhelmed with a sense of guilt because of this passage, please can I just share with you this one principle. Confess what needs to be confessed. Ask God for His forgiveness at what needs forgiving. And leave the past and stretch forward toward tomorrow, walking the path that God has designed. And live in that victory. All right. Live by God's design. It's 1043. Y'all are in trouble. All right. Live by God's design. Finally, feast on God's banquet. Simply said, Jesus said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to to uh, his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know what that means? It means that God has designed marriage as a one-course banquet. 
that will satisfy us emotionally, spiritually, and physically. God designed marriage as a one-course banquet, so don't treat it like a buffet. Feast on the one-course banquet that God has given us and be satisfied in Him and in the marriage God has given us.